1 Corinthians 10, verse 23. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on grounds of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience, I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. So we're in we're in First Corinthians. We've been here for we've been here for a couple of months now, working our way through First Corinthians. And as you are probably aware, if you if you if you're visiting with us, you won't be aware. But if if you if you've been with us all the way through, you'll know that um, this is Paul's the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. And in the, for the past few weeks, we've been looking um, at this section that we've called joyful denial. So uh, from chapter 8 through chapter 10, um, this is our last week in this section, and we call it joyful denial because Paul's answering this question that they have, the Corinthians have written to him, and they've said, hey, we have this question about should we eat this meat that's been sold in the market that's been offered to idols, should we do that? And he um, answers their question, but he also uses that issue, which is something that they're maybe... that, that there's nothing really wrong with it, but also there might be something wrong with it. Um, as they try to work out what they should or shouldn't do, he uses this uh, issue to, to teach them another point. And it's this principle that if you've been here the last few weeks, you should know by now. And the principle is this, the freedom that we have that comes from being in Jesus uh, allows us to follow our, our, his example and lay down our rights and our preferences for the sake of others. Everyone's, everyone should be able to say that now, right? Everyone is aware of that. Um, so, if you, what I would say is like, we're finishing this section today, and, and next week we're going to go into the, the next part of this letter where he really changes, changes direction a wee bit and focuses on another thing. If you don't remember anything else from the past few weeks, remember that, that, that we have this freedom in Jesus that allows us to follow his example and lay down our preferences for the sake of others. Um, and, and that's the way we should live, and that's the way that Jesus lived, right? That's the example that Jesus joyfully, the, the Bible says that, the Hebrew says that it was for the joy that was set before him. That's why Jesus gave himself up. It's he, he lived his whole life on earth in a way that sacrificed himself and, and put others first, and then ultimately he gave himself up and, and died for us, uh, for our good, and for, uh, for, the, for, the good of, for the good of people who were his enemies. And, and that's the example we unfollow. And today, in this section that, that Jess and nearly Claire read, maybe you could have done it together, that would have been good, just verse about or something. Um, Paul, Paul ties this whole section together, right? And, and he, there's one unifying principle, one unifying thing 
that when it comes to denying yourself uh, joyfully and giving up your rights for other people, um, there's one thing, the one reason we do that, and it's the glory of God. And this morning we're going to find out what the glory of God has to do with uh, denying ourselves for the sake of others. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll, we'll look at our passage this morning. Let me pray. Uh, Jesus, um, we thank you that these are your words that we read. We thank you that you are speaking to us this morning, your people. And I pray that um, you would just give us ears to hear what you have to say to us this morning. I pray that our lives would be changed by what you teach us this morning through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so, this, this, this thing, this, this thing called the glory of God, I was thinking about it and I was thinking, and all that I could think about was, when I think about glory, all I think of is, you'll already know what I'm going to say, is glory, glory, Man United, obviously. The greatest football club in the world, that's what I think of, glory, glory, Man United, okay? Um, that's pretty bad because I'm a pastor of a church and I should not say that, but that's what pops into my head. Um, so what pops into your head? What do you think about when you think about glory? You're like, I never think about glory. Who thinks about that? You don't think about it. But um, it's one of those words that is really hard to define. It's really hard to, uh, it's really hard to understand what glory is. And maybe you have some vague notion, because we talk about it a lot, don't we? Christians, we talk about God's glory. We talk about giving God glory, right? Um, we don't really know what it is. Sometimes it's, we use it in a negative sense. So um, even this week I read a, a review of um, a film and it said that this film really glorifies violence. It was particularly violence towards women. This, this film glorifies violence towards women, right? Or, or maybe you've maybe heard someone say, well, that song, that, that song glorifies sex. Or maybe you hear it in a more positive way, um, like in a personal sense to do with your like courage or, you know, you know that thing like, no guts, no glory, that thing? Like whenever you're watching a film and it's, somebody's given a, a speech, you have to go into battle, no guts, no glory. Or maybe you use the word glory to, to think about like something that's at its best, something that's at its peak. Like the, remember the glory days? Those were, those were when things were best, the glory days. And basically, glory, the word glory for us means so many different things. And, and that's a problem because glory is a big deal in the Bible, right? And especially the glory of God. And so in this passage this morning, Paul pulls together his teaching on joyful denial and ties it to the glory of God and specifically living for the glory of God or living, as he says, to the glory of God. Last week, we saw how Paul warns us to flee from idolatry, right? And one of the, the reasons that we are to flee that is because it robs God of his glory. And don't worry, I'm going to hopefully explain what all this means. And that's when we, we put anything from the realm of creation in the place of ultimate worth, right? We looked at this idea. So uh, when we do that, we're glorifying it. We're worshiping something that, that wasn't meant to be worshiped. We're worshiping an aspect of life instead of the source of life. We're worshiping an image of God instead of God himself. And now, and Paul, in the end here, he's talking about the opposite. We flee from robbing God of his glory and live in a way that actually gives glory to God, that ascribes to God the glory that is his. And really, the key, uh, the key verse of our passage, if you like, um, the thing that ties all this together is verse 31. So he says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. 
And this is our, this is our big idea this morning. This is, the, this is the theme of what he's saying in this last part of this section. Whatever you do, do everything to the glory of God. Whatever you do, do everything to the glory of God. Now, this is an incredible statement. And hopefully by the end of, of when I'm finished, you'll understand what he means by that. And if we all live by this, if we all lived doing everything to the glory of God, your life would be totally different and the lives of everyone around you would be totally different. And so my prayer is that, um, that we can learn to live this way. But what does it mean? Because, like I said, we don't really know what glory means. And so if we're to do everything for the glory of God, the first question we have to answer is, what is the glory of God? And that's pretty hard to define. Because if we're to do everything for this thing, we need to understand what it is. So how do we define the glory of God? <laughs> well, glory is a little bit like the word beauty in that regard, right? You can't really define it. If somebody, I mean, apart from saying Andrew Elder, if somebody asks you what beauty is, what would you say? That, I, I mean, that's terrible. If somebody said, like, well, how would you define that? You can't. If somebody asked me what a book is, right, I can, I can pretty easily define that. Well, it's, it's, got, it's got some kind of like uh, cover, it's got pages or leaves inside, it's got writing on it, and, and I can read that and I can understand a, a story or some information. That's pretty easy to define. Or a table, I can define that. But if somebody asks me to define beauty, I can't really define that. And my point is, beauty can't really be defined, can it? Beauty can only be pointed to. Like, I might not be able to define beauty, but I know it when I see it. And, and because it creates a, a response in us, doesn't it? When we see something beautiful, it creates an emotional response. So if you see a beautiful sunset, or you, you look at somebody that you find beautiful, or if you, or if you hear a beautiful song, or, or, or something like that, it causes an emotional response. We can't define it, but we know it when we see it. And it's kind of the same when it comes to God's glory. We, we can't really define it. So what I want to do is just for a second is try and point to it and try and help us to understand how we recognize it. Um, in Isaiah chapter 6, um, Isaiah, the prophet, he has this vision of God. And he sees in this vision, he sees God on his throne in the temple. And um, this vision of God, is it's too much for him to bear. He can't he, God is too wonderful for him. And he says, it's almost like he says, it's too much for me to bear. And he says, woe is me, I am undone. Like he doesn't know how to, he doesn't know how to cope with this. God is too wonderful. God is too other. God is too majestic. He's too beautiful. He's, he's, he's too terrifying for Isaiah to bear. And part of that vision, if, if you go back to Isaiah 6 and read that, Part of that vision, he sees these things called seraphim. These are these heavenly beings, and they have wings, and they fly about. And then the seraphim, they're, they're calling to each other. And you know what they're saying? They're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. So God is holy. He is completely other. And, what, and by that I mean uh, no one else has always existed. No one else is like him. No one else can create the world. No one else uh, never changes. He is completely other. He is holy. He is magnificent. And so if he's holy, if they're saying, holy, God is holy, 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 why do they not say the whole earth is full of his holiness? Why do they say the earth is full of his glory? And the reason for that is that the glory of God 
is when we see his holiness. The glory of God is his holiness made known. So the glory of God, God's glory, is the appearance of his magnificence. It's, it's, it's the, it, the glory of God is, is the witnessing and the recognition of his greatness and his beauty and his holiness and his otherness. Uh, John Piper, the pastor, the theologian, he says, the glory, of God, the glory of God is the manifest beauty of his holiness. It is the going public of his infinite worth. The glory of God is his holiness made known. So what about this idea of glorifying God? Because if, 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 glory, if God's glory is just us knowing and perceiving his holiness and his wonderfulness, then how do we glorify him? Well, this is one of those other things that, that we talk about all the time, that Christians talk about all the time. We want to glorify God. We're going to give glory to God. What does it actually mean? Well, I always want to make sure that we're really careful about not using Christian language that people don't really understand, words that we've made up. I'm so on fire for God. No, you're not. Don't use those words. But we do want to use biblical language like glorifying God or doing things to the glory of God. So what does it mean? Well, let's go back to the Old Testament again because in Leviticus chapter 10, God says, God himself says, verse 3, Leviticus 10 verse 3 says, that he will be shown to be holy among those who are near, near him, and before all the people he will be glorified. God says, I will be shown to be holy. He will be glorified. He says, and I'm among all the people. And so to see or to apprehend or to recognize God's holy, to, to perceive, to have some perception of his holiness is to glorify him. Does that make sense? And earlier, we saw that, that some of the ways that the word glory is used, but actually a proper definition of, of glory is, is kind of is public praise and honor and fame. That's a good way of thinking about it. Public praise and honor and fame. There can only be glory when, when there is someone to recognize the thing that is being glorified. And so to give glory to something is to ascribe to, to, the, to it the glory that already belongs to it. And that's what we do with God. Notice Paul says in verse 31, he says, we are to do all to the glory of God. In other words, the glory of God is our reason for doing everything, right? We are to do everything because of God's glory. You see, God is unchangeable. That's one of the things that actually makes him glorious, is that he's unchangeable. Uh, none of, we are all affected by our surroundings. Everything is, but he's not. And when we live in such a way that glorifies God, we, we can't add to his glory. He, not, you can't add anything to God. We don't somehow make him more glorious when we recognize his holiness. That would be impossible. And this is really important to remember. We don't glorify God to make him glorious. We glorify God because he is glorious. We don't glorify God to make him glorious. We glorify God because he is glorious. And so when we live for the glory of God, we live in such a way that God shows us, that God, we live in such a way that, that shows God to be as glorious as he is. When we're glorifying God, all we're doing is we're, we're living or we're doing whatever we're doing in such a way that, 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 that shows God to be as, as, as wonderful and as brilliant and as terrifying and as holy and as magnificent and as infinite as he is. And this means that we, we think and feel and live and behave 
in, in such a way that the ultimate power and beauty and goodness and, and love and holiness and infinite worth of God is displayed. It's a way of living that gives evidence to the supreme greatness and beauty and wonderfulness of God. Um, in, in, obviously, you know that the Bible wasn't written in English. Um, the Old Testament was written in, in Hebrew. And the Hebrew word for, for glory uh, means weight, as in the weight of something. It's, he- it's literally heaviness. Uh, um, and it's about God's significance. You know, like in Back to the Future, and he's always like, oh, this is heavy. It's like that. It's like, man, this, this is a significance to this. And it means that our lives should be about revealing or pointing to the significance of God. Another, another uh, meaning for that word in, in Hebrew is, is to light something up brilliantly. To shine a light on it, you know? When I was reading this, I was thinking about, um, you, know whenever the, you know whenever you look at the, uh, you know if you look at like when they're about to launch the rockets and they have the, the lights shining up on it? It's like that, to light something up brilliantly. And this is what Jesus had in mind. In Jesus, we, we did Sermon on the Mount. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says this. He says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We are to live in such a way that, that, that shines a light, that to light, lights up the glory of God, that glorifies him by, by showing how wonderful he is. And so the goal of our lives then is to live in such a way that people would say, God is glorious. So when I apply it to my life, I need to live in such a way that people look at my life and they say, God is great. God is so good. Not, wow, Andrew's a pretty good guy, isn't he? And, and that's, that's kind of what we usually do. We, we want people to think that we're good. We want people to think we're all right. I want people to look at me and go, he's a great guy. Like, isn't he a great guy? And we get it the wrong way around. And, and, and my job is to, to live in such a way that I move out of the way and I point to God and, I, and people say, wow, isn't... Isn't God amazing? Paul says to the Corinthians then that Christians are to live all of their lives starting with the the, the very basic things in life, what you eat and drink, the everyday. He says that we are to, to do everything that lights God up brilliantly. In all parts of your life, live so that people see the significance, the weight and wonder of God. So that God is praised and honored and made famous. All of our desires should not be toward ourselves, but towards making God known for who he is. The everyday things of our lives should be shaped by God's glory. We we do all things to the glory of God. That's what he means. And our lives are meant to make the beauty of God light up brilliantly to those around us. And, and when you start to read the, the whole Bible, you start to read the Old Testament, you read, and maybe you're doing one of those reading through the Bible a year things, and you're in Leviticus right now, and you're like, man, this is heavy going. I don't understand these laws. They're all there so that those people point to the brilliance of God and show the world around them how good God is. Now, unfortunately, sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that Glorifying God is only about church things. It's only about what we do here. So maybe we think that glorifying God is only about singing worship songs or only about coming to a church gallon or or a prayer and worship night or something like that. And we do glorify God in those things. Those things are really important, but but that's only part of the picture. And if we start thinking that way, we just 
compartmentalize our lives and we end up having our, our church life or our Christian life and then the rest of our life. And that's, that's not the way it's meant to be. Paul's saying, Paul's saying uh, do all to the glory of God. Do all things to the glory of God. He's talking about eating and drinking, the most basic things in life. And God does want our worship. He does want our praise, but he wants those in all parts of our lives, just as, as much in everyday life as when we in the church gathering. Glorifying God is, is about how we live and interact in and with the world. So we can put it this way. Glorifying God is, is not simply a vertical thing between us and God, if you like. Uh, glorifying God is, is a horizontal thing. It's between us and other people too. In this passage in 1 Corinthians, Paul says that doing good for your neighbors has something to do with glorifying God. This is what he's talking about. So if we're to do everything for the glory of God, and that has something to do with, with doing good for our neighbors, doing good for others, then we need to ask the question, how does doing good for your neighbor glorify God? Paul's uh, talking about their question about eating certain foods, and they want to know what's okay and what's not okay. And, and I'm sure that you know we all have those question, questions. Is it okay to do this? Is it okay to do that? Should I do that? And when we're trying to figure this stuff out, this is a really good passage to go to. Paul's talking about the food offered to idols. And he's asking them to think about it in a way that would consider those around them, right? So we're called to think about the choices and decisions we make in light of what is good for our neighbors. Now remember our, our principle? It's about denying our rights and preferences for the good of others, for the sake of others. And this is what he's talking about here. There, there, are, two, there are two types of people, I think, that he's, he's uh, speaking to in the church. Firstly, there's kind of the more liberal, like, liber I called them libertines, and then I realized that was a band, and I didn't want to call them libertines, but the li more liberal people. And, and he speaks to them in verse 23. He says, all things are lawful. Now, maybe in your Bible, that's in quotations, because they've said that to him. They've probably gone, hey, Paul, we know, aren't all things lawful so we can just crack on and do what we want? And he quotes it back to them. He's saying, yeah, all things are lawful. You see, they were using the truth of their freedom in Christ as a license to do whatever they wanted to do. They didn't really spare much thought for the, the people around them who maybe disagreed with them, who were, who were struggling with things. And we saw that last week. And then there were the legalists, the more legalistic people, right? The good living people. And Paul speaks to them in verse 25 and verse 26. And he's like, look guys, just eat whatever is sold in the market. You see, they hadn't fully understand that the, the, the freedom and the liberty they have in Jesus. They were trying to impose their rules and their regulations on everyone else. And so Paul corrects their way of thinking, and he quotes Psalm 24 in this prayer, and you'll see it. He says, um, he says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. This is a, a prayer that, that, that the Jews would, would, would pray before they ate their food to remind them that everything that they eat comes from God. And Paul's like, hey, you need to remember that everything that you eat comes from God. So stop trying to impose your rules and regulations and just eat the food. And one group was not concerned enough about what they did and what they didn't do, and the other group was too concerned about what they did and didn't do. And we probably have both, we do have both types of people in our church, don't we? Now, I'm not going to ask you to stand up. Everyone in the legalists stand up. That'd be funny, wouldn't it? I wouldn't do that. That'd be totally against what Paul had in mind. But you probably know which category you fall into. You probably know um, 
which side you tend naturally more towards? Like, do you find yourself considering uh, what is right and wrong and, and the pernickety details more than you think about the good of others? Or maybe you, you, don't, you don't care about what's right and wrong. You just kind of crack on and do whatever you want. And the thing about both these groups is that ultimately they're the same. They're exactly the same. It's the same sin in their hearts. They're both self-centered. They're both self-focused. They're both only concerned with themselves and what they can or can't do. They're, they're the opposite sides of the same coin. And whether you find yourself being more legalistic or more liberal, it's the same at the core. You're really only concerned about yourself and not other people. On the one hand, I need to make sure that I do the right thing and that people see me doing the right thing. On the other hand, you're like, well, uh, I'm just going to do what I want to do and I don't really care what people think. It's the, same, it's the same core. You see how inwardly focused that is? And Paul says, well, he says the same thing to both groups. In verse 24, he says, let no one seek their own good but the good of their neighbor. Let nobody seek their own good. Seek the good of your neighbor. In other words, stop thinking about yourselves. Stop thinking about what's best for you and start thinking about what's best for others. Stop seeking your own good. Start seeking the good of others. And when you do this, you're giving glory to God. You see, if you're legalistic, you're only concerned with what you can get away with and what you can't get away with. And you'll end up trying to love God without glorify, or you're trying to glorify God without loving your neighbor. This is what he says in verse 27. He says, if one of the unbelievers, that's you know, people outside of the church, invites you to dinner and you're disposed to go if you want to go, then eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. So what he said is basically a, a, non, a Christian has been invited to dinner by an unbeliever, right? In ancient Corinth. Put your you know, imagine being back then, put your toga on or whatever, the, you know, the sheet, put your sheet on. And, and, and the, the non-Christian the non is serving meat. And that's a real delicacy. He's probably spent a bit of money at that, you know, a bit of money on it. Um, he's made a big deal. You're here for dinner. He wants to serve you. And now this legalist Christian, they're just sitting there at the table and they're like, oh my goodness, he's serving us meat and I don't know where it's came from. I don't know this food has been offered to idols. And they're so concerned with doing the right thing in that moment that they forget about loving their neighbor. And so they refuse to eat the meat. And they're like, oh, just in case, I'm not going to eat this. And that's actually doing a pretty poor job of loving your neighbor. And for this kind of person, doing good to your neighbor is it's just an add-on to the Christian life. And on the other hand, think about the more liberal Christian. They're, they're trying to love their neighbor without glorifying God. And, and, and look what Paul says to them in, in verse 28 and 29. He says, well, if somebody says to you, this food has been offered as sacrifice, then don't eat it. For the sake of the one informed you. For the sake of their conscience. So he, he's saying, listen, if you're more concerned with your own freedom than you are about the good of others... Paul isn't trying to negate our freedom in Christ. In fact, if you read Paul's letters and his writings, Christian liberty is one of the things he talks about the most. But you know what comes before our freedom in Christ? Loving our neighbor. In fact, it's because of our freedom in Christ that we can happily and joyfully deny ourselves for their sake. We give up our liberty for the good of others. You see, you can't Truly love your neighbor without giving glory to the source of love, God. And if we try 
to love people without glorifying God, we're actually just giving ourselves glory. I'm doing such a good job at, at loving this person. And you only have the ability to love because gave you, God gave you that ability to love. So what's the solution then? How do we tie uh, loving your neighbor and glorifying God? Well, there's a third way. There's a third approach to, another approach to glorifying God and loving your neighbor. And this is what I'm calling the gospel approach. And here it is. Love your neighbor in order to glorify God. Love your neighbor in order to glorify God. Or you could say it another way. Glorify God by loving your neighbor. Loving those around us is a way of glorifying God. Loving those around us is a way of pointing to how magnificent God is. So what you could do when that person offers you that meat, or whatever it is, you can translate this to your own experience. Whenever they offer you that food, you don't say, I'm not going to eat that. I, you know, I, I don't eat that kind of thing. You say, hey, you know what? Isn't it amazing that God created everything and His goodness, He gives us this good food to eat. Loving our, those around us is, is a way of glorifying God. In fact, it's central to glorifying God because that's the way we were created. We were created in God's image. God made humanity in His image, right? We are made in the image of loving community. God is three in one, Father, Son, and Spirit, eternally, perfectly loving union with Himself. And so each person in the Trinity uh, exists for the good of the others, Each person in the Godhead exists to honor the others. And this is how we, humanity, were made to be. We were made for community. We were made for relationship. Genesis chapter 1 says, In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. We, plural, are made in the image of God. And all the way through the Bible, God has been restoring Himself, for Himself, a people who will live eternally under His reign and His rule in perfect communion with God one another. In the new creation, we're going to be, have perfect relationship with one another. We're not going to be jealous. We're not going to be angry. We're not going to be trying to get one over on each other. We're going to live putting each other first. And by doing so, we'll be perfectly giving glory to God. This is why, and, and this, this is God's intention the whole way through, through creation. And this is why Jesus was able to summarize God's law. If you read Mark 12, Someone asks him what the most important commandments are, and he summarizes the whole Old Testament law by, by this. He says, love the Lord your God with your whole being and love your neighbor as yourself. That was always God's plan for, for, for humanity, that we would exist in perfect community with each other to give glory to him. He perfect, uh, he perfect, God perfectly loved others through Jesus. Jesus, through his life, perfectly loved his neighbor and gave glory to to the Father. And so in his commands uh, to love our neighbor, we're living how God created us to be. Do you see what I mean? 1 John chapter 4, 19 says, We love because he first loved us. God is love. He loved us. And when we love others, we are reflecting his glory. We're displaying his love. We're actually glorifying Him when we, when we put each other first, when we consider those around us and put their needs uh, uh, before our own. We're saying, look at how God's perfect love is. And when we love others in this way, when we love others to glor- in order to glorify God, God does get the glory because this is how He has asked to receive the glory. 
This is how we've been created to be in his image. When we exist in this way, we're actually existing in the image of God. So loving your neighbor, loving those around you is necessary for glorifying God. But here's the kicker. Here's the sting in the tail for us. Doing this means that we have to stop being selfish. And that's hard. Because I don't know about you, I'm selfish. I don't find it easy to love, my, to love Abigail when she wakes up at 3 o'clock in the morning. As you said to Timmy, I, I, you know, it makes me angry. I don't find it easy to love her. I don't find it easy to love my actual, you know, my actual neighbor. I, I don't mean the, you know, the figurative neighbor, all of us around. I mean my, the actual guy that lives next door to me. I don't find it easy to put his needs first when he's blasting music at 2 o'clock in the morning. And I don't think any of us, it doesn't come naturally to any of us to love our neighbors more than ourselves. If we're honest, most of the time, our focus is just on ourselves. Like, what's in it for me? What will I get out of this? And it's, it's easy to say glorify God by loving others, but it's much harder to put that into practice, isn't it? It's much harder. And so the question I want to finish with is this. How do we do it? How do we move beyond self-centeredness? How, how can we actually move out of our selfishness into a life that, of sacrifice for the good of others? How can, how can we make sure that we're not being legalistic? How can we avoid being, being liberalistic? And ultimately the question is, how can we love our neighbors in order to bring glory to God? Well, Paul gives us the answer in these last few verses of the passage. So look at verse, 30, uh, verse 31. He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. It's almost like here he's saying, you guys have been asking the wrong questions the whole way through. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jews or the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone. Now, he's not saying, he's not saying I try to please everyone like I try to, you know, I, I, I try to, uh, you know, uh, please everyone in the way that is best. You know what I mean? He's, what he's trying to say is that I, I become all things to all people. That's what he's trying to say. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul's saying, you want to glorify God? Do what I do. Imitate Jesus. Imitate him in a way that he never seeks his own good. He never sought his own good, never sought his own advantage, and he lived for the good of others so that they could be saved. That's what he's saying. In other words, if you want to glorify God uh, by loving your neighbor, follow the example of Christ by putting others first in order to lead them to salvation. Paul wants them to see that we shouldn't be primarily guided by trying to figure out what's right and wrong. We should be guided by glorifying God and loving our neighbor. Of course we use wisdom, and of course uh, we're considerate in our decision-making, and of course there's certain things that we just shouldn't do. Like, it's never glorifying to God to kill somebody else. But when you're trying to figure out those things... Should I do this or should I not do this? Ask yourself, is this glorifying to God and is this good for my neighbor? That's what he's saying. 
when you're considering uh, what I should do for my career or what, what next steps should I take in life or, or should I go to this place or should I hang out with that person or should all these decisions that we think about on the every microscopic level of life. Ask yourself, is this glorifying to God and is it good for my neighbor? Is what I'm doing now going to show the world how magnificent God is? Is what I'm doing now going to lead my friends and family and neighbors to see Jesus and put their trust in him? So what he says, he says at the end of verse 33, that they may be saved. We're called to live lives that are not self-seeking. And so instead of being self-seeking, we become self-giving. This is what it means when we talk about living missional lives. That's not just something that we bandy about in village. It, it's, it's actually hard. It's sacrificial and it encompasses your whole life. It means listening to that annoying person in your work when they talk about all their problems. It means inviting them to their house when they've been to your house when they've been kicked out by their husband or wife. It means whatever it means for you. It, it means it means doing those things that 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 sacrifice yourself for the good of others so that they can see the glory of God and so that they can be saved. It's a way of living that at every opportunity sacrifices self for the good of others so that they can see the goodness of God and put their trust in Jesus. So I guess the challenge that I have to ask us this morning is, is this how you live? Are, are you more interested in going to Christian events and being part of a church than you are the good of others? Are you more interested in just uh, going along with the newest, coolest thing uh, than you are in living every day so that others might be saved? Ask yourself, why am I doing the things that I'm doing? Is it for the good of others and to glorify God, or am I really just serving my own needs, right? Because sometimes and you need to be really honest with yourself here. And this is what I find myself doing. You can pretend to yourself, actually fool yourself into thinking, I am doing this for the good of others, when really it's about yourself, isn't it? And we need to be really, really careful. Examine ourselves. Because it's through other-centered, self-given, sacrificial living that we can be good neighbors because we're concerned about our neighbor's ultimate good their salvation. It's actually by giving up ourselves that, that people see the goodness of God and, and embrace Him. God is, is glorified when our love for others leads others to embrace Him. And Paul, he's able to challenge them this way because this is how he has built his life. This is how he, this is the kind of life he models for them. So he says, be imitators of me. But, but notice that he doesn't stop there. Paul is Follow an example of somebody even greater. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul is following the example of Jesus. And the only way that we can move from being self-centered to other-centered is not, is not by trying to be better. It's not, by, it's not by working even harder to love others. It's just by looking to Jesus and following him. It's by realizing that we received his other-centered love. We received his self-sacrifice. We received his self-giving life. Paul says, 
imitate me as I imitate Christ. See, Jesus is the one who had all the glory. We talk about glory. Jesus is the one who has been glorified from eternity past. Right? He is the one who, who deserves glory. And he laid it aside. He gave it up. He gave up his glory so that we, his enemies, could receive his love. Imagine that, that, that if you go back and read Isaiah 6, that, that the one from Isaiah's vision, the one that's too, it's, he's too wonderful for Isaiah to even look at. That the, the, the heavenly beings are covering their faces because they can't even look at the wonderfulness of him. And he gave it up. So majestic, so wonderful, so beautiful, so terrifying. And he emptied himself and became one of his created beings so that we could be saved. And when he lived on earth, he lived a perfect life. He perfectly loved his neighbor. He perfectly put others first. He perfectly didn't seek his own advantage. And he didn't fall into the trap of, of trying to glorify God and not loving his neighbors or, or trying to love his neighbor without glorifying God. He embodied loving his neighbors for the sake of glorifying God. He lived a life of perfect self-sacrifice. And then he ultimately and completely proved this and demonstrated this when he gave himself up to die on a cross. Think about this. And this is, this is if, you can, if you can grasp this, then, then your life will be changed to become more self-sacrificial. While you were rejecting him, he was dying for you. While you wanted nothing to do with him, he wanted everything to do with you. Jesus sacrificed himself, not for his advantage, but for your advantage. And when we receive this, we have this new nature. It changes us. It not only restores our relationship with God, it restores our relationship with others. In the fall, it wasn't just our relationship with God that was broken. It was, it was in our rebellion, relationship with one another was broken. But Jesus, through his death, he, he, in his death he paid the price of sin, and in his resurrection he defeated the consequences of sin, and he made it possible for a relationship to be restored. The, the resurrection of Jesus, understand this, was God def- decisively saying that the fall of humanity was permanently being undone. And so we can love our neighbors for the glory of God because he loved us, his enemies, for the glory of God. We can disadvantage ourselves for others because he disadvantaged himself for us. I'm nearly finished here. So I, I, read, I read someone, a pastor wrote this and I read it this week and he said that Christians live our lives under, the, under Jesus' banner which says it is finished. So we know that Jesus has completed his redeeming work so we can turn away from ourselves and turn towards others. In Jesus, we've been set free. We've been set free from the debt that we owed God. And, and so now we're free to love and serve others. We can work for others horizontally because Jesus has worked for us vertically. Romans 3.23 tells us that we have fallen short of the glory of God. That's, that's what the fall is. That we have fallen short of the glory of God. And, and the way to fix that is by trusting in Jesus because when we do that, we're united with Jesus and he is the glory of God. He is the, he is the goodness of God perfectly displayed. Hebrews 1 says, he is the radiance 
of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So he, Jesus, when you look at Jesus, his perfect life, his perfect death, and his perfect resurrection, his ascension to heaven, what do you see? You see the exact imprint of the glory of God. He is the glory of God. And when we trust in him, we're united with him. And so we can live our lives for the glory of God. Everything we do, and I, I feel like a hypocrite when I say this, everything we do should be screaming at the world, how good is God? Everything we do should be shouting at the world. Every action should be displaying how amazing God is. This means seeking the good of others and loving our neighbor in order to glorify God. Remember our, um, remember our principle from the last few weeks, this section. The freedom we have that, that comes from being in Jesus allows us to follow his example by laying down our rights and our preferences for the sake of others. Well, now I'm going to add one more thing to it right at the end. And like I said, if you don't remember anything else, remember this. The freedom we have that comes from being in Jesus allows us to follow his example by laying down our rights and our preferences for the sake of others in order to glorify God. So may Jesus change our hearts so that we can live this way, so that we can lay down our rights and our preferences to lead others to Jesus so that God is glorified. Let me pray.